what I believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. Jim Al-Khalili is a theoretical physicist, author and broadcaster. He's the University of Surrey Distinguished Chair, where he's also held a personal chair in physics since 2005, alongside a university chair in the public engagement in science. He's a regular presenter of TV science documentaries, including the BAFTA-nominated series Chemistry, A Volatile History, but he's probably best known as the presenter of the weekly Radio 4 programme, The Life Scientific. Jim has written a large number of popular science and history of science books, as well as one novel, and they've been translated into over 20 languages. Most importantly, of course, he's also a former president and current vice president of Humanists UK. Jim, thank you for joining us on What I Believe. My pleasure. You're a scientist, obviously, as well as a a broadcaster and author. You're a working scientist and academic, and you study a bit of science that I think most people would see as quite mind-bendingly weird, or at least, let me rephrase that, that's how I've always seen it. (laughs) It's so sort of divorced from our daily experience. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about the effect that has, if anything, on your your general approach to to normal life? Like, do you, how do you manage to sort of jump out of our our normal (laughs) everyday way of uh, thinking about things and into the quantum world? Well, I, I, I don't think... Uh, I or other people who work in these sort of these more sort of obscure theoretical areas of, of fundamental physics, you know, struggle to, to to jump from one one world to the other, you know, buried in equations and Greek symbols and and a fuzzy uncertainty of, of of atoms to suddenly being in the real world. I think it's it's like any other job. It's a, it's it's something we enjoy. And for me, it's 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 doing it's it's very mathematical. My work. So it's um. Back in the day when I was a younger scientist and I could spend more time uh, writing computer codes or, 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 you know, solving equations, you know, that's what I did. Now it's very much uh, supervising my, my students, thinking, reading, trying to read, find the time to read the papers. It, it is very mind-bending, but I find it just fun. It's puzzle-solving. The nice thing about working in an area like quantum mechanics it, th- is that it really does or should push you to think about what is the meaning of of reality itself you know so, you know what what is is there is there an objective truth an objective reality out there that we as scientists are trying to, to to reach and with quantum mechanics of course it's all that you know business of you know just by the act of observing an electron you alter its behavior and and does this mean that all possible universes exist are there an infinite number of me's you know because that's that's one version of what quantum mechanics tells us so it does it does really overlap with a lot of sort of deep sort of philosophical ideas more so than a lot of other areas of science and how has that affected you then your what your view of things on the in the non-quantum or maybe everything's quantum i don't know your your view of things in in normal everyday life how have they have they been shaped by your your life in quantum mechanics those big questions you just touched on well i think um like any areas of fundamental physics it's 
I, you know, we, we, we're careful not to say, you know, I believe this, that the world is like this, but I, I do feel that the mathematical equations that I'm, I work with uh, uh, need a narrative to go along with them. What do, how do they connect up to the real world? Do they describe reality as it really is? And therefore, is there a reality out there? There's, there's no room for metaphysics. There's no room for, uh, um, you know, I, I still think some of the work I do is, is spiritual in the broader sense of the word spiritual in the, in that it's uplifting, it's inspiring. It's, I, I find it sort of, you know, magical some, sometimes, but it's describing a concrete, absolute truth that's out there. Uh, I may be along the wrong tracks. Maybe quantum mechanics is wrong and we need a better theory. What we're trying to do is approximate the best we can to physical reality that's out there and 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 then i think in, in everyday life i imagine there's a there's a physical reality out there I, you know so i i have i have very little time for uh, the, the the more sort of postmodern ideas of you know r- relative truths and no such thing as reality yeah and no such exactly my truth is as good as your sort of thing depends different ways of viewing well no it's there's an absolute truth out there there are other ways of of trying to get to it, but for me, science is is you know, and the scientific method is the most reliable way of getting to that truth that's there. Because some of the you know the the wannabe relativists that you're mm. rejecting there, they actually they love quantum anything because they, they yeah. sort of use it as a ah, but in a set you know they they'll use quantum the word liberally in there sort of yeah um, and part of my my my, my views is is a, as a reaction against that right. because you know quantum it has been used and abused i mean partly the fault of physicists back in the 60s and 70s are all sort of high on lsd and they they, they suddenly assume <laughs> quantum mechanics quantum. is with is quantum man and, and so <laughs> suddenly you know telepathy and 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 uh, paranormal activity can all be explained quantum is weird they're weird therefore it must be connected so i think now we're, we're much more sort of we're backtracking and being much more hard about it no that isn't what quantum mechanics is about and so it's it's a reaction against any vagueness i did i did um i did say i did tweet something the other day about objective reality oh, i think i was tweeting something that richard dawkins had. that's uh, right i saw said, this yeah. actually Rich, richard had said um the truths the truths of science have been and always will be true even if exactly. there were people to yeah yeah and i knew what he was saying and yeah. i and i tweeted i don't always agree with Richard, but on this i do and of course there was loads of other including other humanists people like adam rutherford came and said no you know science is a social construct and uh, so i don't do the usual thing that they do on twitter which is take a side and stick with it 100 percent i sort of you know it's a, you know what i'm like i try to conciliatory yes, and so right. I said, well, you're an amiable person I'm, I'm, exactly and so i said well no look i think what richard dawkins was saying when he talks about science he means scientific knowledge or absolute truths about reality that we can reach by science that that is not uh, a social construct the scientific method of course that's a social construct because we've we've invented it we human beings have invented it it could could have been constructed by aliens as well ais could come up with a scientific method but at the moment it's constructed by humans so so i said so everyone's right um, you know, hurrah! Let's let's not please let's not everyone argue. in some. Matter. Well, I guess so. It sort of burst a few bubbles. I think there wasn't there wasn't much of a response after that. So, so, so probably people who who may have been uh, spoiling for an argument, which is did, felt rather confused. deflated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, science as a human enterprise is what you've sort of described there as something you admire. Is that is that quite important to you? The idea of, of science as a as a human invention, as a human endeavor, as a human quest. It it is. I mean, of course. Uh, say, if there are aliens living on some on in some distant planet, dis- distant galaxy, they will also be wanting to discover 
truths about the universe and the laws of, of, of physics, you know, which will be no different for them than they are for us. And, you know, they may well hit upon exactly the sorts of approaches we've adopted in science, the science, what we call the scientific method. But as it stands, the scientific method is something that we humans ha have developed. And I, and I think it's so useful to us that we really should be extending it to other walks of life as well. You know, the, the idea that, you know, um, evidence, valuing evidence and data over opinion, um, examining your own biases, you know, which is sort of quite a natural part of your human nature, being prepared to admit when you're wrong, changing your mind in the light of new evidence, the sort of things that we find so difficult in everyday life, scientists are trained to do. Uh, and I think, you know, we should try and get more people using the scientific method, not to do science, but simply to cope with, you know, all the information that we have bombarding us every day of our lives at the moment. So you really think it's an important part of, of a, um, uh, an approach to life that will make us healthy and healthy and... and, and I, I, I think so. I mean, some people might think it's, you know, some, being so such, such a hard-nosed rationalist is, uh, so takes out some of the, 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 the romance and magic from, from or, or the, the uh, unexpected from, from life. But I don't think so. I think... I mean, this pandemic, has, if anything, it's shown us that, uh, you know, we do need to be able to discriminate between what is true and what is fake, what is what is um, good evidence, reliable evidence from someone who understands something from just mere, mere opinion or ideological biases. So I think, uh, yeah, we, we, we should be learning a little bit more about how to use the scientific method to cope with the complexities of everyday life. And you believe that in our private lives, um, presumably to make us better people and better able to cope with things, better res resilient, more resilient and so on. But do you think that's also something that's missing in our public life? It sounds like you're recommending this approach for every aspect of human experience. Do you think it's there at the moment in our public life I, in this country, for example? I, I, I think, I think you know, but both are important. Certainly sort of as individuals, we should be examining our own biases, you know, try, trying to uh, be as objective as possible in, in, in the views that we have, but certainly in public life as well. And I, to some extent, I think the, um, the, the, the pandemic, we're now seeing politicians saying, well, we are not sure, you know, we, in, in, given the evidence that we have, we think this is the approach we should take. Brilliant. You know, if only the politicians had said that before, because in the past, certainly in, in public life and in, in politics, expressing uncertainty or doubt was a weakness in science it's the opposite it's it's a strength it's to sh it's showing that you are open-minded to new evidence which would mean you have to alter your worldview and so i think it is it, we are seeing that because of the reliance so heavily by society and politicians on the evidence related to the pandemic we're we're understanding how science works and how that has to then be reflected in say government policy Hi, this is Andrew, appearing halfway through the podcast to remind you that this is a podcast from Humanist UK, the national charity working on behalf of non-religious people to advance free thinking and promote a tolerant society. If you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about the humanist approach to life, Humanist UK, or the work that we do, you can find out more at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk. And if you like what you see, please consider giving us your support or joining as a member. You've written about um, science in the Arab Golden Age, in the Golden Age mm. of, the, of the Arab world. Is this something 
that you still think and that book was some time ago now wasn't it i mean i'm yeah, trying to think it 10, was 10 years now ten, I think. Ten, yeah, almost yeah. 10 years yeah more than 10 years ago maybe um and since then you know there's been sort of glimmers of hope in that part of the world um but then really quite rapidly mm. extinguished in, in 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 more recent times why was it important to you to 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 write about that i mean obviously you've said science is important for as a human invention and that i take it from that that you think it is a universal pursuit it's something that is can can be conducted across cultures why did you focus on the arab world in that book well i i mean part of it is my own heritage you know i i, I grew up, i was born in baghdad i grew up in iraq although it was a very very sort of western english home i grew up in with my mother being english um certainly you know went to school there until i was 16 and a lot of the the uh, scientific achievements during the medieval period when when the sort of the islamic empire was new and certainly during certain dynasties where uh, they were very powerful and, and there was a lot of scholarship and, and, and knowledge there these are stories that i learned about at school but i think even there in the islamic world and the arab world in particular they aren't well enough known the narrative about how science develops really was that you know the ancient greeks were very clever um and then nothing happened because europe went to sleep for a thousand years um and then you know suddenly you have you know vesalius and and, and copernicus and galileo and and you get the renaissance and the scientific revolution and and so part of the motivation was to say that look science is a continuum advancing our knowledge about how the world works yes you it might get repeated uh, or we might we go down sort of uh, dead ends and cul-de-sacs and come back and, and realize that we were wrong. But by and large, it progresses as we learn from, you know, experiences of, of past em- empires and, and, and scholars. And that period, the golden age of what was called Arabic science, because all the texts were written in, in the Arabic language, was rich in, in some wonderful discoveries and wonderful um uh, a scholarship across all areas of uh, of science, and I just felt that was a story that wasn't told. So part of it was that it's just a fascinating story. There was also, I guess, part of part of motivation was to shout it back at the at the Islamic world and say, "Here are your own ancestors who were rational, who were logical thinkers." who knew that you, if you wanted to learn how the world works, you didn't just get it from a holy book, that, that you went off and did experiments and you, and you, 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 you talked and understood what other people were thinking about. So they were, they were doing real science back then. And to some extent that, that had been and still sadly is forgotten in many parts of the Islamic world. So it was just sort of a reminder that, you know, if you can take pride in, in your own ancestors' achievements a thousand yeah. years ago, how can you possibly start to be moving backwards? <laughs> why, why not advance from there? Do you think this is missing in, in, in a lot of people's, a lot of nations' feelings about their own heritage, though? I mean, you don't, when people, I was thinking in this country, are, are we really proud of the, of the scientists mm. that Britain has produced? I mean, in a sense, yes, you know, Darwin was on a banknote and there's, but it's not, it's not the, the big historical discussions and controversies and celebrations that are making the headlines at the moment, for example, is no, it? I mean, it's not, no. it's not as if we, um, it does any country really, I suppose there's yeah. quite a lot of French scientists in the pantheon and everything, but I think, I think there's a, a, a sort of a general perception that, you know, as, as time goes by, we just get cleverer, you know, <laughs> our, our knowledge grows and, and we develop technologies and, 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 and medicines that, you know, built on that knowledge. So life gets easier. 
but we don't get cleverer. And so this, so sometimes you look back and think, well, Darwin and Newton, yeah, but, you know, they, they, they might have been okay for their time, but we know so much more than them now. And that's somehow belittling that their contributions relative to what we know now also belittles their intellect in some way. And yet, you know, if they were born and living now, they will be still be geniuses. They are still yeah, head yeah. and shoulders above above everyone else. So just because it was a different time doesn't make their achievements any less, or doesn't make their their, their intellect and their you know the, how high they rise above you know so even if they stand on shoulders of giants. You know, these are these are were great human beings, and I think we should be celebrating them. Even so, if does was, that bother you? Does it bother you that that people that- you think people aren't paying attention to that heritage or at least they're not reading it in the way that you've just described does it have any negative effects um i don't i can't honestly say it's something that that i feel i have to you know go on a on a crusade to to, to no, try and keep change. Awake it doesn't keep no. me awake at night no, no. No. But, but i enjoy the storytelling i enjoy that i yeah. mean you know i i was always Unlike a lot of scientists, I was always interested in the history of how the scientific ideas developed and what would bring someone to come up with a new concept about the world, a new theory, or, or devise a new experiment or make a, an observation that, that tells them something different. How did it come to them? And, and, and within the time that they, they lived, how was that possible? I find those stories bring the scientific concepts alive i know a lot of scientists who are not interested in you know quantum mechanics erwin schrodinger yeah but let's find out about what sort of person erwin schrodinger was what was his personality like but why you know it's the same yeah, equation yeah, yeah. who cares about who the personality or the person who invented it for me it's the the people who are developing our scientific knowledge brings that knowledge alive and and that's obvious from your work isn't it i mean in the, in the interviews on life scientific or in the documentaries mm. you've made which are about the history of the people in science yes. whether it's chemistry or the arab world or, or whatever else it, it might be um and you say that's because it brings the history alive but are there any other reasons though why, why you value those stories are they just exciting do you you learn from them are they um lessons in any way i find them inspiring for for me, I think you know. I you know, I remember as a as a an undergraduate student studying physics. I um I had a, a, a for a year. I just basically uh, gobbled up all the biographies of the great physicists of the early twentieth century: Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg and Paul Dirac. All these the, the people that, as a physicist, you know, I knew very well, but I knew them through their contributions to science. But seeing an equation named after a famous scientist didn't really do much for me. I mean, it's interesting as a as, you know, solving a mathematical puzzle, but to find out about the person and what they were thinking, that just got me all excited. Not that I wanted to, to do what they were doing, but somehow I think it's just, there is something inspirational about, about these, these heroes. Um, there's no difference to, you know, sporting heroes or movie stars or, you know, pop stars. It's just the, the, the people you aspire to, to become, people you admire. Do you think that we should admire more scientists today as well? I mean, I know you've written about how, um, well, you've spoken already here already today, actually, about the difference between um, accepting or trusting an expert opinion born mm. of knowledge and, you know, listening to someone who doesn't know anything about it. Um, but it certainly is true, I think, and you've written about this for sure, that um scientists aren't necessarily the most likely people to be listened to by the by the general 
um, population. They do face a lot of competition for um, yeah. uh, to be believed from whether it's you know Gwyneth Paltrow pushing some um, alternative uh, alleged medicine or you know people spreading fake news. I, I think I don't think it's it's necessary that it's the personalities, the scientists themselves that that is important, you know, to to to, you know, to, to get the public to listen to them. I think, uh, yeah, there are a lot of people who understand the problems, who who have strong arguments to counter those who you know try and promote misinformation or fake news. I don't think you need to be you know a theoretical physicist to be the most persuasive person to talk someone out of believing in a conspiracy theory. I think there, there are plenty of people who've got v- very strong, persuasive, rational arguments. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think as, as in, you know, I think scientists are not always the best people to, to even push their own agenda, their own ideas. I mean, that's why we've seen in recent years, um, uh, certainly, sort of the rationalist movements uh, in 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 this country. You know, the, the comedians. You know, the Dara Breens and the Robin Inces and uh, Tim Minchins doing a far better job at pushing a, yeah. the rationalist view of the scientific method than most scientists could do, right. b- because it's not just having the, the expertise, the knowledge itself, that is the way you persuade someone or change someone's mind. So, what is important then? Because after all, you are your your chair. I think is in public engagement. Or you're, you're professor mm. of public engagement science, aren't you? So, what are the what are the extra values on top of the values of being a scientist that are important for public engagement, public communication? Well, I think I think is what I said earlier. I think I'm coming round to the idea that trying to explain the scientific method is as important, if not more important, than explaining the science itself. Um, yes, it's good to have a scientifically literate society to some extent so that we know the difference between vaccines and antibiotics, that we know that vaccines can't carry chips or that 5G networks can't can't spread coronavirus. You know, people need to have some level of understanding of science, even if they don't know what happens if you fall into a black hole, for example. But more importantly, people need to understand how science works and why evidence about the world, scientific evidence in particular, is can be believed and can be trusted. You know, it's not just because this scientist is an expert in, in, in vaccines and they're telling me I should have the vaccine, therefore I should, because they spent years studying it. It's how, you know, what is a clinical trial? How, how, why, why should we trust clinical trials? I remember my, my, my father had the vaccine. He said, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm 89. I'm having the jab first. I'm, I'm the guinea pig. And I said, no, there were, there were 40,000 people who were yeah. guinea pigs. That's called clinical trials. We now know it works. And so I think doing the science is one thing. At one level, science communication is about inspiring people and, and getting science embedded in, into popular culture, you know, talking about scientific ideas because it's fun, because it's inspiring in the same way you talk about music and politics and art and sport. That's one level. But the other is that there is that method, the way we do science, the way we learn about the world, I think is a valuable lesson that's, you know, reproducibility of results the gathering of, of reliable evidence, the, the, the putting uncertainty on, on, on what you know, being prepared to change your mind, falsifiability, you know, sort of the, the Karl Popper ideas, all those ideas that we use to, to do science, we could actually apply much more generally in, in, in everyday life to have a much more sort of rationalist view of, of, of the world. 
you're probably, in fact, you're almost certainly the only president of Humanist UK um, ever uh, to have been descended from a, a very important Ayatollah. Um, we've Absolutely. noted that before. Uh, I can't <laughs> remember. He was, was he was, he's your great, great, how many greats was he? I think it was three, three greats, three, three great, greats. Yes, great, great, great grandfather and he wasn't the grand ayatollah in iran but he was he was a, he was an ayatollah nevertheless but najaf he was a, he was the yes. najaf was him. that's pretty that's a big ayatollah don't do you don't do your granddad that's fine. yeah well you know, <laughs> he's a big that's, ayatollah that's where the pope went if he wanted to meet exactly i was gonna say if you were alive today you'd have met the pope <laughs> <laughs> and that's it well anyway that that's sort of interesting in itself but um even more interesting possibly at least for, for what it might say about the development of your own values um you uh have had parents of very different um mm. religious or values backgrounds at least your father obviously was at least raised a shia muslim yes um and and of course your mom uh was uh devout i mean a believing a believing christian certainly when yes, i met absolutely. her she made that clear to me <laughs> <laughs> i hope in a nice way I mean, <laughs> in a nice way in an extremely nice way she was it was in the context of telling telling me how proud she was of you oh, very so good. um that was uh, that was the most important thing i think that she was trying to convey but the the other stuff was by the by um but anyway i mean what 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 did that do uh, to you or for you, I mean, as as an upbringing, be, to be the product of two very different parents mm. with perhaps two very different worldviews, or weren't they that different? I mean, I don't know. What's well, the I think what was surprising, the way we were brought up was the, the similarities between the worldviews. You know, we weren't taught that, you know, mum has one set of beliefs about, about God or about, you know, the world and dad has a different – it was the same. So, so they very much emphasised that, you know – good and evil, Adam and Eve, heaven and hell, you know, there is only one God, Allah is Arabic for God, and it's the same, you know, it's not like your God or my God. Um, but certainly, you know, it was inevitable that, you know, as kids growing up, we would question, you know, so, you know, you, you could go to heaven then if you follow this path or that path. So it doesn't really matter as long as you're good. And then, it, and then you know, you, you think, well, does it matter what path I take? Isn't the important thing being good? Isn't, isn't that what what it should be about as opposed to you know because then you think well you know, how do they conflict is is jesus the son of god or is he just another prophet as as muslims would say you know you can't both be right so i think it was inevitable i don't know if my parents thought it through and said well you know we'll do our best but we know you know inevitably our kids are going to stray away from any sort of religious belief right well it is almost inevitable. yeah i mean the interesting mm. thing from demographics studies in the uk at least is that you know if you've got two parents of two different religions you're almost as likely to turn out non-religious as if both your parents are non-religious right so okay. it's, it's, a, it's as direct yeah, it's a, a, almost okay. a, a thing yeah. as that which is interesting the census um, came through last last uh, last week and my my dad said he'd got his and uh, and so i said um so what are you going to put down for, you know, for religion? And he said, well, I suppose I'll put down Muslim. I said, yeah, but are you? I said, you were born a Muslim. He said, no, I don't believe. I said, well, then that's what you put. You don't, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a belief. It's not something you're, you're born when died in the wool. I yeah. said, if you don't believe in anything, he said, oh, okay. So anyway, I've, I've, you'll be pleased enough. If you've persuaded I've him. Persuaded by that, he's going to put no religion down. <laughs> <laughs> Conversational activism, that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Because he is, he is, I mean, he's... he's uh, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've obviously believe. met him too at the same occasion, mm. and he, 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 he didn't seem like a believer to me. After no, <laughs> well, he, you know, he, he still, um, well, pre-COVID, would go to my mum's church. 
but for the for the reasons that we know, you know, the sense of community and because they're nice people yeah. there. And but he'll sit there and he'll every now and again and say, "Well, this is all a load of nonsense, isn't it?" And, you know, but he'll say it with a twinkle in his eye so as not to yeah. offend any of the people there. Um, but he does it just for 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 the uh, companionship. No, he doesn't. He doesn't believe in the, the the supernatural side of it. So growing up. Were, was it a case that you were sort of taking the the best bits from from either uh, side, or was it really that you were taking the commonalities, which, like you say, the ethical commonalities, which are true of all religions and cultures, really, aren't they? Do be kind, be good, you know. Do. I think that's right. I think it was yeah. the commonalities. I mean, we I, we never, I never studied either of them. I mean, I, we had religious education classes at school, but that was only in the school in Iraq. You know, you only learn about Islam and the Quran. But it was just a, so it was an abstract set of ideas. I never thought of it as a as a a lesson to how to live my life. Right. Like the, the the broad you know uh, lessons that we that Christians to always refer to as Christian values, but you know humanists talk about as human values. Those those were the things that were instilled in me. You know, be truthful, be nice, be kind, be compassionate. Uh, and again, like the other ideas, at some point you you you, you realise, well, I don't need this my mum's religion or my dad's religion to tell me to be a decent human being. Has it ever been uh, difficult for you being um, being a an out an out humanist, even given that I know that your father's mm. not really believing Muslim, but um, you know you've got. Muslims in your family, presumably still, I don't know, actually, but um, you're recognised, you know, in the in the Arab world, not least through the book. And I do remember, do you remember when we, we organised that letter when David Cameron um, yes. said this was a Christian country? And you you, you headed a letter that we organised saying, you know, with a list of very fa- lots of famous people saying it's not a Christian country. You know, we've got lots of non-Christians. There's non-Christian heritage to this country as well as non-Christians living here now. Um, and quite a lot of people who signed the letter um including me, got emails saying that, you know, if you don't like it in this country, you know, go go home. Now, that didn't make much sense to me because I could have only gone as far as Coventry, right? But, but and, it, and of course, just as much, it shouldn't have made sense uh, in your case either. But of course, it does have that added mm. aspect, doesn't it? In that this person was sort of saying, oh, well, if you're questioning religion in this country, you know, you, why not go back to Iraq or whatever? And so yeah. it's just... Is, is, has there ever been a difficult dimension for you, either from the Muslim side or from the, you know, racist white British side? S- surprisingly little. I mean, I, I certainly okay. thought when I took on the presidency uh, of, of the then British Humanist Association, I thought I would get some blowback, some uh, criticism uh, from, from from the Muslim side you know relatives but abs- i didn't you know the only time i've ever experienced racism was when i think i tweeted something post the brexit referendum saying i was very disappointed and whatever and and it was it was sort of far-right racists from america who were oh yeah uh, who, who who were then very so but you know i waterfalls ducks back for me it wasn't so I, I i didn't feel as though i was a victim because i'd never really encountered even though coming from a mixed race background i'd never encountered racism personally and so i never felt as though you know when i know so many people have to live you know sort of the this of the, the, the strip drip feed of racism you know uh, against them in daily life i'd never had that and i certainly didn't really have anything the only time I think I had to be a little bit careful is when I was talking, giving talks about the golden age of Arabic science in the Middle East. 
I'd been invited by the British Council to to um, Qatar. I gave a talk about it at, at the um, uh, Dubai Book Festival. Um, so places like that. But I, 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 I nip it in the bud. You know, people will say, well, you know, of course, it's all in the quantum mechanics, Einstein's relativity, it's all in the Quran anyway. I nip <laughs> it in, in, in the bud and say, look, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about science. You know, the, your, and, and I'd, you know, I'd get quite bad. So your ancestors, a thousand, yours and my ancestors, a thousand years ago, um, understood that the Quran is not a book. It's not a science book. It's not a medical textbook. It's a book that tells a billion Muslims how to live their lives. But if you believe in a God, then that God has given you a brain to use, to go out and learn about, you know. So I could diffuse the situation by coming across as, you know, not as belligerent or attacking them. But I, I made sure I always sidestepped the problem of anyone saying, well, what do you personally believe? How can you possibly not believe in God? And I, that, you know, I try and brush it off. Would you say that was a part of your approach to life generally? I mean, we've already set, remarked on your amiable, the amiable <laughs> nature of your behaviour, even online, and um, you're obviously diffusing tensions there and avoiding conflict. I mean, you're not one of those scientists who goes out spoiling for a fight and looking for a, a dispute and and, no. and, and to, to lay down the um, the battle lines. Is that is that right? Is that part of your attitude? I think so. I think yeah. I I I I don't tend to like confrontation it's not that i shy away from it because i'm uh, uh too afraid i'm going to lose an argument or you know so sort of in a cowardly sort of way i just i just it just doesn't appeal to me that the polarization of views is just never something that you know i I've, i think of even growing up as a kid i was always quite happy to listen to the other side it wasn't about point scoring or winning an argument for me it was about trying to find out what was right where the truth was and if the other side had a truth, then, you know, maybe I, I just have less cognitive dissonance <laughs> than average. I don't know. Maybe it's partly, partly my scientific training, being able to admit that, oh, no, no, actually, you've got a point. I've changed my mind. I back down. You're right. I don't have a problem doing that. I know a lot of people will, you know, if, if painted into a corner, they will, they will just come out fighting regardless, and they'll never back down. I, I just find that senseless silly lessons from quantum science as a human enterprise the values of the scientific approach and amiable approaches to finding out the truth thank you jim for telling us what you believe well thank you for having me andrew that was jim el-khalili telling us about his life and his outlook on the world as a humanist for the what i believe podcast if you'd like to support the podcast find out more about humanism humanist uk or the work that we do you can find out more at the humanist uk website humanists.uk and if you like what you see, please consider joining as a supporter or a member. You can also, to find out more about humanism, purchase the Sunday Times bestselling The Little Book of Humanism, available now at all good bookshops. Mm -hmm.